Is there a sleeping tight end lying in hibernation in the AFC East? When is it time to panic about a top 10 wide receiver's injury recovery? And will one NFC East receiver finally break through to the elite tier? Plus, we answer all of your emails, each one of your tweets, and more on an extra special 4th of July Independence Day edition of the program tonight. We've got a great show for you. Farrell Elliott is here. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your high stakes fantasy football hour. I can't now. stand the pressure. I've seen greater men. I need a lesson. Make out of the lesson. Just because it was right there in the dresser so easy. Pick me up, kiss me, and you squeeze me. Broadcast live and heard around the world, you are now listening to the most entertaining hour of radio on the planet. Welcome to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, presented by MyFFPC.com, with your hosts, Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott. The High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is your home for analysis from the best players in the world. And now, because no one else was available, here's Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott. Remember to check out their music at quiethollers.com. Greetings and salutations. All of the Balkaholics and Ferreliacs, happy early Independence Day to each one of you listening around the world, or happy belated Independence Day if you happen to listen to the show on the podcast method after we already do it. Uh, Welcome to the latest episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com. I am, as always, your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman, and my co-host is indeed, as always, the definitive commissioner of fantasy football, Farrell Elliott. Farrell, happy early 4th of July. You got any big plans on Sunday? I know, like you, you're you're probably going to be scouring all the uh, beat writer reports from around the NFL on Sunday while you're barbecuing and, and having some bourbon, right? No, we'll do that with bourbon because that is appropriate, but there'll be no barbecue involved, uh, at least from me. It'll have to be brought in by an outside source, Balky. I am not a cook. Matter of fact, that runs in the family. My mother asked the gentleman who built our house in 1990 if it had to have a kitchen. That came from her. That came exactly from her, and, and, and you know, it was it was touch and go there for a while. We might not have had a kitchen. But, yes, I am looking forward to the biggest thing. The biggest news that I have for this weekend is that uh, I am partnering with a great friend, and we are awaiting the kickoff of the FFPC main event that will begin, slow drafting that will begin on July 4th. We actually have a, a few leagues filled already uh, for those slow main events, as, as Farrell is, is referring to. July 4th, celebrate your Independence Day by independently drafting or working with a partner, as Farrell mm-hmm. is, um, for your uh, swing at $500,000. Um, and uh, those slow drafts will go on. I will probably cut them off, I would imagine, a week and a half, two weeks before the start of the season, but plenty of action there. Uh, and those kick off on July 4th. Very excited to get those main events going early. Um, I want to uh, welcome in everybody. Thank you so much for making a little time on a holiday weekend for tuning in to us. Shout out to everybody in the chat room right now. You can post any questions for us uh, that you might have in there. If you want to connect with us on Twitter, at HSFFHour, at Eric Balkman, at KFFSC, at J. Farrell Elliott. And, of course, check out 
the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship at kffsc.com, facebook.com slash hsffr. If you want to give us a call, feel free to do so, 347-426-3682. That's 347-GAME-OVA. You can also email the show at highstakesfantasyfootball at gmail.com. So if you do have any questions for us, get them into us now. We'll try to get to all the chat room questions, tweets, and emails in the fantasy feedback segment coming up later on in the show. Thanks to our audio engineer, my best friend Bryce, and our producer and mutual friend Rob. As Farrell mentioned, $500,000 grand prize. Those main events close start up on Sunday. The Football Guys Players Championship, yeah, that's going hot and heavy right now. Half-million-dollar grand prize there. $100,000 for second. Um, and don't forget that we have drafts underway, including the midnight draft tonight, which has seven openings, which yours truly is commissioning. Hopefully, I will see you in there. It will be uh, crazy town banana pants, a lot of fun. It's a holiday weekend. You can sleep in tomorrow. Jump in the midnight draft tonight. Um, the inaugural best ball tourney, obviously, underway, $125 entry fee, $100,000 grand prize. There's a half million dollars in prizes in that one as well. And if you want to play in a closed team league, Plenty of best ball drafts, the best ball, the Cinco de best ball, $5 option, of course, Dynasty Startups. The Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship main event is indeed filling up if you want to draft live in Louisville, Cincinnati, or online. Go to kffsc.com. Thanks to Football Guys, Draft Sharks, NBC Sports Edge, and, of course, Rob for tonight's Fantasy Flash. Let's go over to Connor Orr's report on Sports Illustrated. That said, the Jaguars may center their offense on the run game in 2021, despite drafting Trevor Lawrence overall. Now, this is not without, this is not just speculation. There is some precedent here. Urban Meyer obviously ran the football a ton at Ohio State. The offensive coordinator in Jacksonville, Daryl Bevel, obviously always wanted to quote, uh, or I should say not quote, hashtag establish the run in uh, Seattle as the offensive coordinator for uh, Russell Wilson in his rookie year. And this could be a run-heavy year for, for Jacksonville. They used Travis Etienne, uh, a first-round pick on him. They obviously have James Robinson. Brian Schottenheimer is the, actually the passing game coordinator for the Jaguars, and he loves the run. Trevor Lawrence is surrounded by a lot of coaches who will go out of their way to run the football. Now, Orr also said that this could prevent a, quote, Andrew Luck-like burnout for Trevor Lawrence. And you would imagine that if they do run the football a lot, Farrell, you're looking at a pretty good value on James Robinson in fantasy drafts right now. A lot of people wouldn't touch him after the Travis Etienne pick, but shout out to fantasy mojo Darren Armani, who helps put together the pros versus Joes each and every year for his ADP on fantasymojo.com. You need to sign up for that and register for that. If you are, are playing in any FFPC leagues, James Robinson, Farrell running back 29 at the six twelve. I guess before I ask you, if you think that's a good value there, are you buying the support? that the Jaguars might be a run-heavy team this season. Uh, contributor or from Sports Illustrated is on to something that I have felt consistently uh, that this will be the situation with this team. I go back to, to last September, Bobby. I'm sitting in the um, – uh, we were at uh, – where were we? Caesars. We were Caesars, Paris, Bally's. We were everywhere last year, but wherever we were, we were we were drafting in the uh, FFPC, and I'm in the ninth round, and it, it's C.D. Lamb, and it's Robinson, and which one do I pick? And and uh, you know, I looked at the board, sized up the competition, thought I could get away with Lamb, and thought Robinson would come back to me. What great bargain! Lamb at ninth, and Robinson at ten. Uh, so I took my lamb pick. Robinson went uh, at, at the 12th pick, the only place that could get him. 
four spots away from me. My point is I thought never again would I have the opportunity to take this player um, anywhere outside the first couple of rounds because we were thinking very, very big year for him. We had some unknowns, but we were thinking big year. And throughout the season, I kept thinking, I wonder if I'll ever get a chance to find another player that you can get where we were getting James Robinson and still get that kind of value for him. Who is the 2021 um, Robinson player? And I'll be damned if it's not Robinson. You know, he's he's the same (laughs) value. Yeah, yeah. He, he's the guy, you know, who is it going to be? It's going to be him. And and I have been amazed at the fact uh, that I've been able to target him every draft. I got him as late as the ninth pick in the seventh round two weeks ago in the football guys. Um, shout out to our friends, Jay Reed and Scott O'Connor. Uh, those guys are Scott Connor, rather. Those guys absolutely love the concept of stagging. Uh, stacking. I have been stacking Etienne and Robinson. And uh, yeah. so this article is music to my ears, uh, and and I'm uh, I'm thrilled uh, that I haven't been football guys, and I'm sure as we head to the live events in Kentucky, and then later on at the granddaddy of them all, the FFPC, we won't be seeing this value for Robinson because this uh, article that Mr. Orr has contributed here will become uh, everyday news. Travis Etienne going at the end of the fourth. James Robinson going at the end of the sixth. Obviously, if you do want to stack Jaguars running backs, it is fairly easy to do it right now. Um, Now, uh, John Terry, who's in the uh, chat room right now, uh, he's not a fan of of the uh, James Robinson pass catching um, because he he thinks that Etienne Mm. is going to take that over, I'm assuming. Um, He actually likes Trey Sermon uh, better there, uh, Farrell, and they are going fairly at, at the same point. Trey Sermon, 606. James Robinson, 612. I know you are a big Raheem Mostert fan. Um, Sermon has been getting a lot of uh, pub lately. Um, people talking about he might be the Niners running back to select and draft this year. Are you still sticking with Mostert at this point? I am sticking with Mostert. And as we talk about running backs, after Trey Sermon has a 1,000-yard season under his belt, we can put him in the category of James Robinson. <laughs> uh, uh, Sermon's going where he needs to go. And Sermon's a fine ball player. I'm a big believer in Mostert doesn't mean I believe in sermon or don't believe in sermon don't necessarily want them both but that could happen um, so everything they sermon and mostert are two different types of players in a rushing attack where we don't know who's going to play quarterback yet there's a lot of uncertainty there we know what Jacksonville's going to do and we see a little more of it every day so the Robinson over sermon the first part of it uh, will I argue with someone that takes Sermon over Mostert? They'll pay more for Sermon, and I don't think they're necessarily getting more, but I can't argue with anyone that chooses to pick him on and put him on their team. Interesting zero RB thought there, too, because if you go zero RB in your FFPC draft, maybe you grab four receivers and a tight end, you could conceivably get Trey Sermon in the sixth, potentially James Robinson in the early seventh as well. Even if you can't pull off the Trey Sermon, James Robinson, zero RB maneuver, you could, as Farrell would tell you, get James Robinson and Raheem Mostert. Don't forget about Michael Carter, who's also going in that area there. He could be the starter for the Jets week one as well. So there is, I know there's 
you know, zero RB is becoming more polarizing. I think this is the most polarizing I've ever seen it this year. Uh, but certainly that is a feather in the cap of the zero RB drafters, given where those running backs are going in football guys drafts right now. Para reports from Joe Biscaglia, who uh, covers the Buffalo Bills for the athletic I want to get into. Now, Jacob Hollister, he said, could be the Bills' starting tight end if Dawson Knox can't get it together this season. Biscaglia talked about Jacob Hollister's athleticism, which, by the way, 84th percentile burst score at the NFL Combine four years ago. And don't forget, he was college teammates with current Bills quarterback Josh Allen when they were uh, together at Wyoming. Dawson Knox last year, 9% target share in nine games, caught 24 of 47 targets. And this was a really, really high-powered Bills passing attack last year. Last year for the Seahawks, when Hollister was starting from week 7 through 17, I beg your pardon, in 2019, Hollister had the 12th most tight end fantasy points. That was when he was averaging nearly six targets a game. Farrell, we're, talk- we're not talking about tight end- or starting tight ends here. Dawson Knox currently tight end 31 at the 18.09. Um, but then you look at uh, Jacob Hollister uh, in, uh, in, uh, in football guys drafts right now. And he is actually not even being selected. So you look at uh, this Bills tight end situation, you could take a flyer on Hollister late. I'm not sure how excited I am about Knox anymore, but I, I think Hollister is an interesting guy. He is an interesting guy, and, and anyone who is drafting in, uh, in best ball I should look at the player. Uh, th- there's a lot of caveats with the player. I, I've always admired him. He uh, and there's nothing like those Wyoming Cowboy uniforms, you know. I mean, guys look like real <laughs> football players. He he wore number 88, and, and Allen has that big arm. They're throwing the ball down the field. He was an impressive guy. What was wrong with him? He's a Mountain West Conference player, and the scouts, for some reason, don't seem to like him. He's a little undersized. They call him 6'4". He's about 6'3 and a half. He's 240. He never, in college, he never learned to block. And if a tight end doesn't learn to block in college, it's going to take him a long time to get on the field in the NFL. You know, back in 2019, Balky, he was on the practice squad. Anybody could have had him between weeks one and six. So there was a lot of need for tight end help around the league. But he he languished on the practice squad before he got his chance. And when he got his chance, he played well. The best thing I like about him is he plays through contact, just because a player doesn't, just because a tight end doesn't block, doesn't mean he's tough. This guy's tough when he catches the ball. He lines up in multiple areas. He can go in motion, uh, but you know he'll be 28 years old this season. He's caught 74 passes in four years, and uh, Buffalo. We hear all through the media that they're. Uh, looking to acquire Zach Ertz, and that's exactly what Hollister is. He's a poor man, Zach Ertz. Uh, he is a player in the NFL that needs a break. He he probably needs this Ertz deal not to go through. Uh, he, he's in the right place, a comfortable place, a soft landing spot with his college quarterback. Uh, but he, if he fights through all of that, he's still dealing with a variety of targets and an offense that has a quarterback uh, that they want to rely on scoring the ball when they're inside the 10-yard line, scoring the ball with his legs. So yeah, there's a lot to overcome here. This is the kind of player you root for. And I, I think a lot of fantasy players are familiar with this uh, Hollister because when there was a terrible uh, shortage of tight ends due to injury, uh, people picked him up and he played well during that stretch you're talking about. But then he got injured. 
So bad luck and not the best of opportunities have trailed this player around through his whole career. He's a good NFL player. Um, this is turning into the uh, Bills Fantasy Football Hour tonight because we've got a question <laughs> in the chat room from our good buddy Hudson Kern-Reeve. He wants to know if oh, Zach Moss's ADP is going to rise more now. Now, it has been rising, Kern, and you know because you've been doing a bunch of these football guys drafts. But when we look at Zach Moss, um, when it comes to uh, the last five days, in the uh, in the FPC, running back 38 at the 904. Conversely, his major um, competition there in the backfield is Devin Singletary, running back 48 at the 1109. There is now two rounds of separation between Moss and Singletary. We saw, I think, Buscaglia also talked a little bit in this article on the Athletic about how um, Moss could could be the, the the guy who gets the most snaps and the most touches in the Bills' backfield there this year. Farrell, are you buying Zach Moss in the ninth round right now as a potential starter on a high-powered offense? That's where I'm looking for other positions, namely a quarterback, if I've waited that long. So I haven't been in the business with Moss. And I, I go back to what I just said. The quarterback uh, with his legs scored eight touchdowns last year. When you get in the red zone, it seems like he's going to carry the ball, and that's not going to help uh, any running back that's involved in that situation. Singletary does does everything well except catch the ball. Uh, Moss has been, you know, he's been hampered with a lot of bad luck with injuries. And I don't want to call him injury prone, but, you know, he's missed time in the NFL. He missed very, very valuable time at Utah. Uh, I think there's better – I think by the time you get to the ninth round, there's, there's probably better running backs on your team. And if, 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 if you need depth – why not? He's got a he's got an interesting schedule in front of him. He plays on a very good team with a lot of things that they can accomplish in their offense. Um, I've been looking the other way. It's interesting about Singletary too, is because you know he had an opportunity um, as a rookie or as a young player to to really cement himself as the guy in the backfield, and he kind of underwhelmed. They went out and got Zach Moss. Zach Moss got hurt. Singletary gets a second chance, and he wasn't all that great, and he fumbled the ball quite a bit. So, you know, not, not a great situation for Singletary there. I'm kind of with you, though, Farrell. I mean, like the, after eight rounds, I start looking for my starting quarterback. Um, I haven't been looking at running backs in that area right now as, as far as where Zach Moss is going, which, by the way, is Ronald Jones, David Johnson, A.J. Dillon territory as well. Um, one last thing on the Bills for the rest of the show. I promise you this is it. Actually, I'm not going to promise you because I don't know what the chat room is no. capable of. Maybe we'll get a Josh no Allen question or something like that in there. Um, sure. Manuel Sanders, according to Biscaglia, is actually more likely than Gabriel Davis to uh, take the place of Smoke Brown in the Bills' offense this year. Biscaglia was actually um, pretty high in this article. He said a lot of positive things about Emmanuel Sanders, even calling him the most underrated piece to the Bills' offense. Brandon Bean, who's currently the GM in Buffalo, has actually been after Emmanuel Sanders for a while and signed him to a $5.9 million deal all the way back in March. Quote from Muscaglia, Some expect Gabriel Davis to step into John Brown's role from last season, but all of the Bills' actions in the offseason were not of a team confident that Davis was ready to step into an enormous role. Allen often looked for Sanders during spring workouts, trying to establish a rapport with him, through meaningful reps. Last year, John Brown, 5.77 targets per game in about half a season. Sanders, according to just Joe Biscaglia, excels in pass routes that are favored in the Bills passing offense. 
I have long been an Emmanuel Sanders fan, Farrell, dating back to his Pittsburgh Steelers days. I always feel like I grab him wherever I could. Now, sometimes it doesn't pay off, but it, it always seems like I, I get him at a, at a discount, and I'm fairly happy with what I get from him. Emmanuel Sanders, wide receiver, it's uh, wide receiver 67 in the 16th round right now. I don't think Cole Beasley is going to retire. I don't think he's going to sit out the season, but the fact that he could, the fact that Gabriel Davis um, does not seem to have the confidence of the coaching staff in the front office, uh, and the fact that they, they don't have a real strong answer at tight end or a, a great pass catcher in the running game, man, I, I think Emmanuel Sanders screams like a really good value in the 16th round right now, football guys drafts. We've been, going back to last year, we recommended Davis as a starter, and he, he performed and given the opportunities to do so. Uh, the general manager here is doing exactly what he has to do to build his club and make it better. They had a great team last year, and they're going to have a better team this year with acquisitions like this. And Emmanuel Sanders at 34 years old is, is everything, uh, all those platitudes uh, about his skill set, it's there. And as a quarterback, you know, Josh Allen is looking with 34-year-old wide receiver. Well, what does he do? He runs absolute precise routes. And people hear that, and, you know, I think people kind of just shrug their shoulders when they when they hear that. But you mentioned how many how many um, times he was targeted last year in New Orleans, and he had one significant breakout game, and he played well with, with the 49ers before. Uh, running that route against the physicality of, off- of uh, defenders uh, for a wide receiver is difficult, especially when you're not getting targeted. But as Allen goes through his progressions, he knows one thing. If he's got Emmanuel Sanders on the field, Sanders is going to be where he's supposed to be. And by the time he goes off of digs and finds Sanders, uh, there will be some type of separation. But Sanders will be in the right spot for Allen to deliver the ball. He won't even have to see the player. He can see him with his peripheral vision. That's a big advantage to this player. It allows uh, the quarterback to gain confidence, and it allows the quarterback to build a reputation as, as getting the ball to an excellent receiver. So it's probably going to be only for one year, maybe two. But Emmanuel Sanders is going to make the Buffalo Bills better. He's not going to make Gabriel Davis better as a fantasy player, but he'll, he'll make all these receivers better players with his contribution to the team. And he'll, he'll probably even tell Beasley when, he, when you should talk and when he shouldn't. You know, that seems to be Beasley's problem <laughs> right now. But, but he's a great locker room guy, a great teammate. And another, you, you know, keeps the thing going. we got another great player to root for. Um, yeah, when I saw that Sanders was signed, my expectations for Davis uh, dropped uh, this year. Um, and it's... <laughs> There's a situation if you want to if you want to stack a couple of receivers very very late. There you go. But both these guys will have yeah. moments where they shine and contribute for the Bills this year. Emmanuel Sanders in 2017 only played 12 games because he was hurt. Uh, throw out that season when he only had 47 catches. Farrell every single year all the way back to 2013, he's had at least 60 catches. Three of those seasons, he went over 1,000 yards, a two-time Pro Bowler, 47 career touchdowns. Lots to like about Emmanuel Sanders in the 16th round. As John Terry, uh, not no, uh, no longer known as Aunt Jemima, as I just found out, uh, in the chat room also agrees with us, too. 
uh, about Emmanuel Sanders right now. All right, enough of the Bills talk, but we can't get out of the division. Let's stick in the AFC East and talk a little bit about Damian Harris. Now, Mike Reese is one of the most plugged-in beat writers in the NFL. He covers the Patriots for ESPN. When he talks, you got to listen because he's usually, usually right about a lot of the stuff he says. He said he sees Damian Harris as the Patriots' number one running back and, quote, it's pretty decisive. From week four through week 13 last year, this was before he got hurt. Well, he got the ankle injury in, in week 13. But from week four to week 13, Harris had 43% of the Patriots' rushing attempts. Next closest was Rex Burkhead, who had 21%. That means he more than doubled the next closest guy as far as percentage of the team's um, uh, rushing attempts last year. Jeff Howe, who covers the Patriots for the Athletic, said uh, in May that both Damien Harris and Sonny Michelle would be a, quote, solid one-two combo in the backfield. But we don't even know if Sonny Michelle is going to make this roster, given the positive uh, reports we've heard on the rookie out of Oklahoma, Ramondre Stevenson. Apparently, not only has he been running the ball well, but he's catching passes as well. You'd like to think that the Patriots using a, a draft pick on him. He's going to factor in not just on special teams, but into their offense in 2021. You still have James White, um, who is going to be on third downs quite a bit uh, 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 this, uh, this upcoming year. And then you got to believe that if Matt Jones, once he becomes the starter, um, whether it's the start of the year or whether it's later on in the year, at that point, then Damian Harris gets a little bit of an uptick because he won't see Cam Newton taking those goal line carries away from him. When we look at the ADP right now, Farrell, as far as Damian Harris goes, I actually was pretty upset. I, I just missed on him in the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship checkered flag draft I was in this past Wednesday. Damian Harris running back 34 at the 806. That's Leonard Fournette, James Conner, Tony Pollard territory. The big question here, and I think this is the only one we need to answer, the Patriots have historically always been running back by committee to a fault to the point of driving people crazy, to the point of people wanting to quit fantasy football over it is such a frustrating thing. Are we willing to say that Damian Harris is finally the guy that stops that trend and he becomes the guy for the Patriots running backs this year? Yes. I think that everything is right about this player having the, the opportunity and the timing is right uh, for Harris. I don't know if I want to personally get involved uh, our, our great friend uh, Justin McCord tells me that uh, when you can't figure it out, get the cheapest option. That sounds like James White to me. Um, mm-hmm. I want to know who the starting quarterback is, and I, and I want to know, you know, in August I'm going to feel differently about Harris depending on which quarterback gets the early goal. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned Cam Newton. We talked about Allen taking away. Um, rushing touchdowns and just just rushing plays all throughout the field, not just the red zone. In Cam Newton's case, I looked it up today, Balky. Without looking, can can you guess the number of touchdowns that Newton had in his uh, abbreviated season this past year? Rushing touchdowns. Um, You're talking about – oh, just rushing touchdowns. My goodness, I don't know. I mean, just two or three? I have no idea. Twelve. Oh, my God. He led the league. He led the league in rushing touchdowns, and and I, I just uh, you know any any back uh, that is going to compete with with that kind of physicality from your from your quarterback uh, when you from from different spots on the field, it just makes that uh, it makes that New England uh, backfield look like a long shot. 
of guys that I would want to play. James White, great personal difficulties last year, losing his father and his mother ill from a, from a car accident. James White could have gone anywhere in free agency, multiple suitors. He returned to New England for a purpose. He's dealt through this personal adversity as one of the most uh, appreciated um, and respected players in the league, both on and off the field. Something tells me that James White plays with a purpose this year that's been unprecedented, and we see great production from him. So I'll probably wait until the 15th round and uh, call on James White to give me what I think might be the, the best contribution at the best time from New England running backs crazy when you look at uh cam newton's stats uh, stats last year i'm blown away by this no so this dude um last year for the patriots 2657 passing yards eight touchdowns he he threw 10 interceptions but yeah on the ground wow 600 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns uh it really i i'm i'm blown away I, i can't even believe that that he scored that many times with his legs so something to definitely keep in mind as we move forward now you know that Mac Jones there will be the quarterback sooner rather than, well, I don't know, maybe sooner, maybe later. We don't yeah. know how it's going to go. But right now, as far as Cam Newton goes, he is going way late uh, in football guys' drafts. Quarterback 29 at the 2003. Conversely, Mac Jones in football guys' drafts not being selected, so not a lot of people willing to take a shot on either one of those quarterbacks this year. Uh, but you may want to look at them late um, and uh, grab one of them as a backup just to see what happens there, especially Newton. Wow, good stuff there. All right. Now, this next topic that we're talking about, Farrell, is A.J. Brown. Now, this is a, a player that I believe we talked about a month, maybe a month and a half or so ago. And I feel when I, when I brought him up on the show, I prefaced it by saying that this, this kind of has gone under the radar to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about it back then, but I feel like it's still under the radar. A.J. Brown, according to TennesseeTitans.com, said he's still recovering from off-season surgery and not one, but both of his knees. Quote from Brown, I am not getting impatient, but excited. I'm excited to get back on the field and get back out there with my teammates just to be out there again. I've been rehabbing and I've been taking it slow. And I'll be back out there soon. It's been a real slow grind for me. A.J. Brown said that the Titans thought his season was over when he hurt his knee in week two. He ended up playing through it, was on the injury report basically every single week, still got over 1,000 yards and 11 touchdowns. He finished as wide receiver six last year in the FFPC. Farrell, how, how concerning is this for you uh, that he's still recovering from knee surgery here? I know we're, we're still in early July, but knee surgery on, on both knees is nothing to be taken lightly for a wide receiver. Recovery and rehab um, and, and the fact that he played through it, and, and we just don't have enough. We don't have enough information with, with, uh, about what this surgery uh, entailed uh, and what, uh, you know, what the consequences of, of the surgery were. Did they go in and find more than they thought they would find? Did he, did he further injure the knee by playing on it? So when I read this, I think not only about this season, but I think about the future. And, you know, we talk a lot about our, uh, our dynasty players, uh, you know, it would be it would be a real shame that when this player uh, reaches an age of 28, 29, 30 years old, that his knees will no longer support what he wants to do. Because he is gritty, he is tough, he is a pleasure to watch. You could tell last year when he got hit going over the middle and got up, you could tell he was hurting. But he, you know, he didn't run the sidelines. He went back in the huddle. He answered a lot of snaps for this team. 
Uh, it may give us some insight as to why this team was so aggressively going to get Julio Jones. Uh, and, and you may start asking yourselves questions for that. But let's just watch him move. Thank God we have preseason football. I doubt if he'll be on the field much, but he'll be on the field enough for us to watch him move. And as long as he's moving well, then then we'll be okay um, going forward with Brown. If you are drafting right now, um, and, and since we won't know, as John Terry pointed out, we're, you know, we're probably not going to get any concrete information or we're not going to get any new information until August. That leaves like a month plus of drafting right now where you can either fade A.J. Brown or perhaps maybe target Julio Jones. Kern Reeve wants to know, is Julio Jones being underdrafted now as a result? He has fallen to wide receiver 17. He is going at the 410 right now. Farrell, that he's basically right next to Jamar Chase and Chris Godwin. Does that seem right for you, or is this a buying opportunity for Julio Jones, a player who, who looked like he, he still has a lot to offer and, and not necessarily on his you know Jerry Rice tour of the NFL at the end of his career? I would tell the professor that, that yes, um, Julio Jones, if he was a member of 25 other teams, would be under draft, but he's a member of a team that – uh, is, is designed and, and is functioned to hand the ball to uh, running back Henry. Uh, the quarterback is, is still thought of as a quarterback. Tannehill is a guy that can beat you with feet. We've got to remember he's a converted college receiver, and he does have some wiggle, and he does have some move. We've got to realize that um, the coach, <laughs> the coaching staff uh, has has lost – a lot of assets, and they've moved down to Atlanta. Uh, I didn't always agree with what they did offensively there, but I, I at least recognized that, that they made a big con- contribution, and that uh, that coach is now running the Atlanta Falcons, which leaves their uh, present head coach a lot of uncertainty to me. Uh, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of decision making sometimes that leaves me somewhat baffled. So it's a very, very long answer. But I think Julio Jones is right with considering all the risk of what the offense is going to look like and uh, what we should expect from the number one wide receiver there, that that Jones is in a great place. But uh, when you take a look at the players that are being drafted around him, Jones perhaps has the biggest upside as a, as a guy that uh, has done it before, done it for many years, and and can do it in an elite way. So, yeah, if Jones is there in your fourth round, you ought to grab it. Yeah, and, and late fourth in, in a lot of uh, lot of spots. He's been slipping to the fifth round. In fact, he went in the last five days, He has uh, in football guys' dress, he has slipped as late as the 503. So certainly a great buying opportunity if you can. Uh, what's the quote from Ferris Bueller? If you have the means, I highly recommend it. It is so choice. Um, Julio Jones going back to back with Jamar Chase right now, the rookie receiver from Cincinnati. Now, it's interesting that the Bengals chose to use a first-round pick on Jamar Chase when we saw what their second-rounder from last year, T. Higgins, was capable of and the fact that he was expected to make a big jump this year. Now, he still could make a big jump. In fact, according to Brian Callahan, who is the offensive coordinator for Cincinnati, he says Higgins is going to play a huge role in their offense. Big report out of the athletic this week. Uh, the Bengals are counting on a big leap from Higgins, who put in a lot of work in the offseason, according to the article. Now, we talk about Jamar Chase, even Tyler Boyd. We've talked about the last few years. I drafted him in Kentucky on Wednesday night. Very excited to get Tyler Boyd late. Um, the, the, the Bengals have been talking up Higgins. I don't know if this is a case of, 
hey, I know we used the first round, our first round pick at your position, but we still love you, and, and we, we believe you're going to do big things in, in this offense. But I, I, I guess I look at it from the standpoint of when Joe Burrow was healthy last year, Farrell, when he didn't have Jamar Chase, when T. Higgins was still sort of getting his feet wet, Joe Burrow was averaging, like, I, I, I think I saw that, like 27 or 28 passing attempts a game just to the receivers. So, I mean, if you're dividing up the, the receiver targets uh, amongst those three and he's getting 28 of them a game, you've got to think that these guys are going to average like seven targets a game, maybe even more uh, in, in that case. And if that does play out that way, well, all of a sudden maybe Chase, Higgins, and Boyd can all be nice little buys right now um, in, uh, in the Bengals' uh, passing attack. Uh, Chase, we just talked about going at, as wide receiver 18 um, Higgins going after that, obviously, um, he is going at uh, wide receiver 25 at the end of the fifth. And then Tyler Boyd, actually, the latest of the trio, Farrell. Tyler Boyd is currently um, being selected as wide receiver 38 at the 804. Think all three of those guys are going to return their value this year? Oh, there's so much to talk about here, Balky. My first answer is no, uh, for one reason. Uh, well, for many reasons, but I'll start with one reason. Um, <laughs> we have reports of our uh, running back, Mixon, uh, that, that says he's not only going to be featured back, the bell cow back, he's going to carry the load. Um, this team is going to try to win in a different way uh, than what they tried last year, uh, it would be my expectation. Now, and it would make sense because they didn't win last year, but through 10 games, their young quarterback – uh, threw the ball 400 times, and I don't think that's going to happen. Now, as, as we, the, the the teams that are, the fantasy owners that are drafting these players, the 18th and 25th, they, it's, Balky, can you help me with the mojo and tell me so? I mean, I can guess. I would guess Cooper Cup, DJ Moore. If they're if they're 18 and 25, they're going before Galladay, Judy, Claypool, Sutton. Am I am I right about that? Yeah, uh, they're basically going back-to-back for DJ Moore and Cooper Cup right now for those two guys. Now, they're going at the 502, 503, wide receiver 20, wide receiver 21, um, basically right behind Jones, Chase, and Godwin, ahead of Lockett, Thielen, and Deontay Johnson, and then it's T. Higgins right now at wide receiver 25. These are Galladay, a lot of names. By the way, Galladay, Galladay, wide receiver 28 right now. These are a lot of names that have not only high expectations and new opportunities uh, presented to them, but these are guys that have done it before and done it impressively. Cooper Cup and Galladay have comeback seasons for uh, different reasons. DJ Moore, Judy is a guy that I want to see on the field with Sutton coming back from the injury. God knows, you know, I think Claypool is going to be better in their new offense with their new coordinator. So I, I think drafters have to pump the brakes on this and realize a couple things. First of all, they're going to try to win a bit differently. They're not going to throw the ball 40 times every time. Cincinnati Bengals don't get to play Cleveland every week. I think we saw that Monday nighter where Burrow threw the ball 60-plus times. Uh, that doesn't happen every week. Who do they get to play on weeks that they're not playing Cleveland? they got Baltimore twice, pass defenses, among the best pass, pass defenses in the entire NFL. Last year, Burroughs' game against Baltimore, no touchdowns, one pick, less than 200 yards. Pittsburgh, 
They got a score right before halftime. Was their only touchdown of the game? That was the game when Pittsburgh went to to nine uh, nine wins and no losses. Uh, threw the ball forty times, two hundred and thirteen yards. They're going to have to play them this this year. They get the Steelers in week three and twelve. Uh, the Ravens in week seven and sixteen. I don't believe that you want to be in business uh, with a team that has to play. Uh, there's a, there's soft spots in their schedule. Uh, they do play the. Uh, the NFC North, but uh, as Balky will tell you, the Green Bay Packers are uh, a secondary is consistently improving. Um, I, I don't. Uh, I think these players are being overdrafted, and we're going to look at very sporadic and inconsistent performances, especially with the level of competition they're going to have to beat with a uh, with a quarterback. Uh, that's coming back and try to reassert himself after injury. I think there's better places to go, and there's a lot of hype with uh, with Higgins and Chase, which is unjustified. So where is the value? Tyler Boyd in the eighth round, I think that's good value all day long. You mentioned hype, Farrell, and that's a good transition to our next question from the chat room here. This is uh, John Terry asking for his friend Wasp, which is hilarious, by the way. Uh, he wants to know if we can comment on where we would take – Kyle Pitts in an FFPC redraft. Now, John was actually in the football guys draft the other night uh, where Pitts did go at the 201. I don't think I've seen him in the first in a football guys or, or any FFPC redraft at this point. His ADP currently is at three, uh, three, uh, 305. Kern says he'd take him in the third all the time. He wouldn't take him in the second. Farrell, where would you take Kyle Pitts? I mean, if, if you had an early third round pick or a mid third round pick, are you spinning a, you know, rolling the dice on on the rookie tight end out of Alabama or out of Alabama, out of Atlanta right now there, or would you uh, would you pass on him and and maybe get him if he slips? Yes, every Florida Gator fan just had a heart attack when you said that. Yeah, uh, I know it's terrible. It's terrible. They just, they just saw, oh my god, you know. <laughs> Who is this guy from Wisconsin, and what is he talking about? <laughs> oh, goodness! Well, I don't. You know, I don't know the, SEC um, football. I just follow the Big Ten. That's all I know. I know Big Ten well, football. Well, we're going we're to make sure that that's corrected <laughs> in 2021, my friend. But all right. you know, uh, yes, and I would be tempted, especially if if I had gone tight end in the first round uh, with Kelsey and Waller, I would be tempted to add this guy in the third round. And mm. to say that I am uh, I am coming with a contrary uh, philosophy of uh, uh, my starting tight end and one of my flexes every week uh, because it, I think this is going to be uh, a season that we see uh, rookie tight end performance uh, numbers go way off the board because he is not a tight end. He's not going to be a traditional tight end. I would be tempted to draft him and in the 20th round uh, add the other tight end, uh, Hayden Hurst, uh, from the Falcons. We're, we're going to see this player do everything in this offense that can possibly be done. And he's going to have some growing pains, and he's going to have some games that opportunities are missed, but he's going to continue to get them, and they're, and they're going to turn this player uh, into a success that they have in mind for him. There's no higher draft pick higher propensity for success than this player. And in our FFPC, where it's a 1.5 scoring premium, 
you get the points, not for yardage and not for touchdowns, but, but, but for catches. So, and there's going to be a tremendous amount of them, and they're going to come from all over the field. Uh, they're going to come behind the line of scrimmage. They're going to come on the skinny post. They're going to come on the hook patterns. Uh, it, it's it's all over the field for this player. So be fascinated to watch the Atlanta Falcons. And look, they got a quarterback that can get the ball to this player, which is a good thing, too. I was excited on Wednesday night. I finally got my first share of, of Kyle Pitts anywhere I, as I took him in the KFSSC mm-hmm. checkered flag as my starting tight end. Very excited about that just to – you know, the the whole FOMO thing, uh, fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out. I want to make sure I get pits in a few leagues this year, and I got them in one, so I'm very yes, excited sir. to see that. You know what also is going to be exciting, too, Farrell? When we cover the pros versus Joe's drafts coming up in uh, oh, probably about two or three weeks away or, or so from that, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see in these best ball slims, these 18-round drafts without kickers, without defenses, to see if any of the pros or maybe some of the FFPC Joes who do what you just said you might do. And that's drafting Kelsey or Waller in the first round and then coming back and grabbing Pitts in the third. Um, when you think about how you, ha- you could start up to three tight ends, it would certainly create some separation if both of those pan out. And when everybody's just gunning for first place because second place does not get anything in those 12-team leagues in the pros versus Joes, uh, we, we might see some aggressive tight end drafting involving those guys for sure. We saw some aggressive real-life NFL drafting from the Dallas Cowboys last year. Um, I guess aggressive is a bit of a, an aggressive term because C.D. Lamb <laughs> sort of fell in the Cowboys' lap uh, last year. It's not like mm. they traded up for him, um, and, and they ended up getting him. Um, Dan Hansis, who uh, writes for NFL.com, said that Lamb is going to have a strong sophomore season, and he says he's going to emerge as the Cowboys' team MVP. Now, he was pretty good last year, and by pretty good, number 22 wideout in FFPC leagues, that was basically, I, I, you know, two-thirds, three-quarters of the season without Dak Prescott. That was his rookie year. So you look at C.D. Lamb right now, Farrell, and, and I know the hype is, is kind of going uh, a little bit out of control. This is the highest we've seen him go. He's got an ADP right now of 310 in FFPC leagues, going as wide receiver 12. He's moved, moved ahead of Amari Cooper. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He's now moved ahead of Allen Robinson. He's already ahead of Robert Woods and Mike Evans. Um, is this a guy that, that is still going to return value? Uh, Farrell, right now, it, it, with when you when you can get him in the late third, or is he approaching sort of the red flag territory where you don't know if you want to be in business with him at that price? I'll get in, this, in, in business with this player everywhere I can, Balkan. It's laughable to get him in the late part of the third round. You know, we just talked about Brown at Tennessee. If Brown has issues, this player could outscore Brown. If, if uh if Rodgers doesn't show up, this player could outscore Adams. Uh, this player, given uh, an opportunity with Dak Prescott, uh, could outscore Jefferson. And no one has a problem drafting those guys in the second or even the first round. <laughs> C.D. Lamb, to me, was one of the one of my favorite players of, from last year. And I understood what the scouting community saw in him. I, I never really... In all my years of working in the NFL, I never really were able to identify a player that every scout loved for every receiver aspect um, in his game. He was tough. He's a fighter. Uh, he's willing to go across the middle. He's got great hands. He's very, very sudden out of breaks. Now, a lot of people would like to say that he's not a deep threat. He's not a burner. He doesn't have to be. 
He makes big plays in the clutch. It was very important. You could see how well his hands were and how well he adjusts, how well he tracked the ball in playing with that Duke's mixture of quarterbacks down there and still having positive outcomes. Uh, I was just very pleased that he didn't get beaten to death by having to catch outside the passing window. He's a superb run-after-the-catch player. He's got great players around him. He's on a team where they're going to have score points to win because their offense keeps getting bigger, uh, better and better and their defense keeps struggling. Uh, yeah, and he's going to do it with the Dallas Cowboys, and he's going to do it a lot for us in prime time. This is your last chance to ever get this player in the third round. I think if you're in the third round and he's available, you better put him on your team. And you like him better than Cooper, correct, uh, given that they're, they're, they both oh, have similar yes. ADPs right now? Yes, definitely. But I, I think he is uh, he's well past his teammate. Is he a round ahead in the ADP? That's going to look more like a round and a half or two by the time we get to Las Vegas. But what a great combination of ball players here uh, with Dak Prescott approaching 550, 575 passing attempts. There's no reason that uh, uh, there's no reason you shouldn't have Cooper too. But my goodness, C.D. Lamb's a great ball player. Yes, he is a good ball player for sure. Very excited to get him on. But I think I already have him on several of my teams this year. Looking forward to a big Bafo season from the man out of Oklahoma. So, you know, big 12 football. Um, all right, Terry McLaurin, as long as we're sticking with NFC East um, uh, 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 players here, NFC East receivers, Farrell. Terry McLaurin worked with Doug Baldwin, the former Seattle Seahawks, this past offseason to try to improve his getting a release when he goes up against the more physical corners on his schedule this year. Terry McLaurin in two seasons has not had a great quarterback. Um, Some would say he hasn't even had a good quarterback. But wide receiver (laughs) two uh, level for fantasy managers over the last two seasons, number 24 and number 20 respectively in uh, 2019 and 2020. Now he could uh, explode as well. I, I think top 10 is a little bit aggressive, but, Carol, it always seems like somebody likes McLaurin a little bit more than me, and I always seem to just miss out on him. Um, right now in, in drafts, he is in the uh, he, he's he's in rarefied air. Wide receiver eleven, he's actually going ahead of C.D. Lamb right now. Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas going right above him. My concern with McLaurin this year is, you know, having Curtis Samuel opposite him, having Logan Thomas, um, who proved himself as a worthy tight end last year. And then you have the case of, uh, of Antonio Gibson, who looks like a really good pass catcher, and J.D. McKissick still there as well. Now, I know a lot of those players were there last year. My concern is, is the volume going to be there again for a third straight year? Because it sort of has to be if you're going to take him as the 11th receiver off the board. I think so, Balky. And, uh, you know, Fitz will know how to use his assets, and this player is one wonderful asset. I love what he does. Um, right, you know, the suddenness of Lamb is copied here with McLaurin. That's why they many times get the ball uh, to him uh, within the cushion of the corner and let him make physical plays. I, I really like the fact that players consciously working on one aspect of his game, a young player like that uh, focusing on getting better in one area where he knows uh, that he needs it is, is a very good sign. I would I would give a nudge to this player's schedule as well. I think everyone knows that the NFC East draws the AFC West this year, 
and and that's going to present uh, great opportunities. I think uh, Washington Club opens with uh, uh, with the Chargers, and, the, and the, those games are going to be a little looser uh, than some of the NFC matchups or some of the you know they don't they don't get to they don't have to play the Baltimore's and the Pittsburghs this year. Uh, so. I, I think the type of contest that they'll be in favor all those Washington players, but McLaurin is the number one guy, and, and you're right. Uh, some of those other players may have a hard time improving on their 2020 totals because of the quality of the teammate. I think Curtis Samuel uh, gives the opportunity for this player to have uh, defenses that are not keyed on him. So, yes, I'm, I'm very much in favor of drafting this player wherever I can get him. It's, it's amazing to me that he is going uh, in front of Lamb, uh, but he could have a season that that gets close to uh, what Lamb has. But I, I see uh, – I, I see – uh, if I would flip them with their ADP, it would make a little bit more sense to me. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so too. I, I, I think that that makes sense. Another question uh, from the chat is, as we've been talking about the WFT in there, uh, the conversation has shifted from Terry McLaurin to Antonio Gibson Farrell, running back 10 right now. Now, normally at the 204, now normally this is a player um, who has the resume of potentially being what, when we used to do the ascendant uh, on this show, a guy who's mm-hmm. going to rise up draft boards and people are just going to throw ADP out the window and get Gibson uh, when they can in the FFPC and KFFSC main events. However, he's already going at the 204. I don't know if he can go much higher. In fact, Farrell, is it fair to question, and, and Wasp guy wants to know this, is it fair to question whether Gibson is actually being overdrafted at this point, going ahead of guys like Nick Chubb, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, uh, Aaron Jones, and more? I think he's in that mix, and when you come around that that first round and you're moving in the second round, you know, you feel – I was in a situation where it was either Gibson or Mixon, and I took Mixon, but it it probably – in looking back at it and understanding – Understanding some of the competition that he's going to have, I kind of, I kind of wish I, I had buyer's remorse on Mixon immediately when I did it. You're right; he's an ascending player. We haven't seen his best football yet, and I, I really believe that uh, this is as high as he needs to go, but it's the right place for him. But amongst all other players, uh, he has possibly the biggest chance to do more than he did last year, which is the best you can ask for. Uh, when you're drafting a young player. Uh, we don't have a ton of time left, but I think we got enough time. One, maybe two emails. We'll see what happens here. Let's go to Lance in Laurel, Maryland right away. He writes, Dear, Dear Balky and the Commish, since neither J.K. Dobbins nor Gus Edwards catches a whole lot of passes, Edwards is a much better value later in football guys' drafts. Change my mind. Your show is the best. That is Lance in Laurel, Maryland. Lance, we certainly appreciate that. Um, Gus Edwards right now, as far as ADP goes, Farrell, uh, he's actually being drafted as running back 43 at the 10.03. Dobbins, obviously much higher, running back 17 at the 3.06. So I don't think there's any question Dobbins will clearly have the better season than Edwards, but when you're talking about a difference in ADP of almost seven full rounds, does it make more sense to grab Edwards instead of Dobbins? Um, or, or does he repre- you know, does Edwards represent the better um, value when you consider draft capital here over the uh, second year running uh, back from uh, 
out of uh, Ohio State for Baltimore. Yeah, Dobbins is going to score off and ball. And it looks like we just lost Farrell. I, I apologize for that, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we made it uh, 55 minutes through the episode tonight before a BTR issue while Farrell's answering that question. Um, I'll just give you my thoughts on it right now. Um, I like Dobbins. I don't know if I necessarily like him um, at, at the 306, but Gus Edwards, I think, is being a little bit undervalued. And this is the area Farrell and I talked about this earlier. You know, ninth and 10th round, if you're building on running back depth, uh, Edwards would certainly make some sense there. Farrell, we have you back now. What were you going to say about Dobbins uh, as, as far as his season goes? Uh, they're going to just expect more from Dobbins this year. But Edwards is a very, very tough player. And, and Lance, you're with the team here. As, as you well know, he's, he's from Maryland. It's probably some sort of government uh, situation that he's after our satellite. <laughs> fell off when he started to... But, yeah, Edwards is, is a great player, and, and if there was ever an opportunity, you know, you look at natural handcuffs, uh, Kamara and Murray, that's a handcuff that everybody is willing to make. I think Dobbins and Edwards is, is an excellent handcuff. Edwards is a tough between-the-tackles runner. This is very much like uh, earlier in the show we were talking about uh, Sermon and Moster. However, you've got the styles of, of the players uh, flipped here. Uh, but but Dobbins has a high ceiling based on what this team expects of him as a player. In the situation with Edwards, they're very happy with what they're having out of him. So you'll get more of the same with Edwards. Dobbins will get the opportunity to provide much, much more for the Baltimore Ravens this year, thus uh, making his his uh, draft uh, slot right now uh, appropriate for his contribution. If you want to put the commission's advice into practice, go to KFFSC.com. Sign up for the main event there. You can draft in Louisville with uh, luminaries like we have in the chat room tonight and yours truly. You can also draft live in Cincinnati and, of course, online as well. Farrell, if they want to give you a buzz, talk a little bit about the KFFSC. Correct me if I'm wrong. 507-523-5057? You're getting close, Hubbucky, but it's 502. Five two three five zero oh, five seven, and you know, it, yeah, I, I knew that area code didn't look right when I as soon as I saw it, I'm like, I don't think it's five zero oh, seven. <laughs> but you're doing a mighty fine job, and you know, you're a technically advanced individual. When you call me, you don't dial in any numbers. You just say call Farrell, and your phone does it. And and, and I'm just pleased <laughs> to be on the other end of the phone when it rings and it's you, Balky. But I want to talk fantasy football with anyone. I want to talk to you about playing in uh, at the KFFSC and meeting me in Las Vegas to, to play in the FFPC. It's, uh, you know, it's the best time of the year, and we're getting closer all the time. Yeah, can't wait to, uh, to talk a little bit more fantasy with you on the show. However, we won't do it next week. I'm giving you the week off because you did such a fine job tonight. We will reconvene <laughs> Friday on July 16th. Farrell, be good, man. Have a great and safe uh, Fourth of July, dude. You too, my friend. Farrell Elliott, ladies and gentlemen, you follow him on Twitter at J Farrell Elliott. You follow the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship on Twitter at KFFSC. And, of course, check it out, KFFSC.com. I want to thank Farrell, the FFPC, Rob Bryce, and, of course, each and every one of you for hanging out on this holiday weekend talking fantasy football. I feel like we covered a lot of ground tonight. Um, now, like I said, 
We will not have a show with Farrell next week. However, we will have a show. Yeah, that's right. Our special guest slash co-host, I, I promised you a surprise. It is going to be world-famous FFPC commissioner Bryce Masters and I doing the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour next week. Um, Bryce is uh, Now, Bryce is not just a commissioner. He's going to let us into his world a little bit. And uh, he also plays a lot of fantasy football as well. Um, so he'll uh, give you some insight on what he sees in the draft rooms. He's going to talk a little bit about um, what, what his teams look like so far this season as well. You follow him on Twitter, at Bryce Masters. Make sure you tweet at him and tell him how excited you are that he's going to co-host the HSFF Hour uh, next week with me. That uh, will complete this evening's program, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for filling up that Football Guys Midnight Draft. Can't wait to commission that. Register for the inaugural Best Ball Tournament today. Take your shot at $500,000. Don't forget about the FFPC main event multi-team discount. $400 off your uh, each additional team that you add on right now. Dynasty Startups, Best Ball Drafts, all going on at myffpc.com. And don't forget about the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship main event. You heard a lot of advice tonight. Put it into practice. Have a great 4th of July, everybody. Your weekend starts This now. has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, presented by myffpc.com. It was broadcast live and heard around the world. Balky and Farrell will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from guests much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that um, I, am, I am obviously a Green Bay Packers enthusiast. Bryce is a very, I wouldn't say diehard, but whatever the no- next notch is down from that, Detroit Lions fan. So my apologies in advance if this devolves into some sort of Packers versus Lions urinating match. I hope it doesn't turn into that. I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, we should have a lot of fun next week. We will talk to you then. Thanks so much. Uh, Enjoy the barbecues. uh, Celebrate your independence. And uh, have a great week, everybody. See you in the draft rooms.